and welcome to the Free Movement Podcast. I'm CJ McKinney. The UK immigration rules features a giant list of reasons why a visa or visa extension application can be refused if the applicant has misbehaved in some way. These reasons are known as the general grounds for refusal. Now recently this entire section of the rules was rewritten, so if you're an immigration lawyer faced with these new look grounds for refusal, how are you supposed to know what the important changes are versus what's just cosmetic? And that is the subject of this podcast, the new general grounds for refusal, and how they differ from the old ones. Joining me is Alex Paletzka, a solicitor at Turpin Miller in Oxford. Hey, Alex. Hi, CJ. So before we launch in, I normally get guests to justify their existence in some way. So what's your particular interest in the grounds for refusal? Apart, I guess you would advise clients on them day to day, but what's your specific expertise? As I'm sure many people who listen to this know, Free Movement has a very useful OISC Level 1 course, uh, which I've recently updated to cover some of the recent changes to the rules, uh, which included changes to the general grounds for refusal. Perfect. Good plug there as well. And the grants for refusal are in part nine of the immigration rules, and that was given a major overhaul recently, as I've said. So because we're talking about the changes from what went before, probably the discussion will be of most use to people who already know, already knew roughly what the refusal rules were and need to know what's different about them now. But just maybe very quickly gives a sense of what is part nine all about before we get into the details? What do these refusal rules do? What are they for? What are they about? Uh, so the part nine grounds for refusal used to be called the general grounds for refusal. And I actually think that's a better description for what it is, because it's a section of the immigration rules that governs, as the name suggests, uh, grounds on which the Home Office can refuse an application. So it applies across the immigration rules, with some exceptions, so... Various sections of the rules will specify that Part 9 applies to them, but then with some categories you open Part 9 and you see that only some of the grounds apply to them. Um, So if you open up Appendix ECAA, so that's the ANCRA Agreement Appendix, I will say that Part 9 applies. You look at Part 9 and you see that only a few Part 9 grounds apply to it. Uh, To make it even more complicated, many categories have their own category-specific grounds for refusal, uh, either in addition to the general ones or instead of them. So Appendix FM has its own grounds for refusal, and even though it doesn't mention Part 9 anywhere, there are grounds in Part 9 that apply to Appendix FM. So it's not the simplest of things to get your head around. Now, it wouldn't be the immigration rules if things were easy. But like broadly speaking, if you're looking at a particular category in the rules, it will either tell you, look at Part 9 for the refusal grounds, or look within this section for uh, bespoke refusal grounds. Is that right? Yes, so uh, some say Part 9 applies, um, and in which case usually they will be the only grounds that apply. Um, some have their own section where they say these are the, this category's grounds for refusal, but then you may not know that actually Part 9 also applies to that category, so it's just something you have to know sometimes, which is not very convenient. We are just going to focus on the uh, grounds in Part 9, not any of the category-specific stuff. But the changes that we're going to discuss, uh, when did they come into force? So um, these changes were introduced as part of that 500-page statement of changes in October. So 
uh, they took effect on the 1st of December 2020. Jelly good. Well, we're slightly behind the times, but still worth covering because, as you say, there were so many changes that came in all at once at the 1st of December. People are probably still catching up. Just can you give us a high-level summary of the major substantive changes from the old version to the new? Just in a few sentences, what are we looking at here? Okay, so uh, in terms of substance rather than form, uh, there have been some huge changes. The rules that relate to criminality have been amended to make it easier to refuse on this basis, and they will now potentially apply to a lot more people than before. So that's probably the most fundamental change. Uh, The language of the discretionary grounds has been changed from should normally be refused to may be refused. Uh, which suggests that there may be a, there may not no longer be a presumption of refusal in these cases, but it remains to be seen whether this will actually amount to a substantive change in practice. Um, and there are a few new grounds as well, uh, though I will say now that many of them are discretionary rather than mandatory before people start worrying too much. Okay, well, let's start then with those entirely new grounds. Um, and so things that were not a ground for refusal at all before, and, and there they are. I think the most high profile that people have probably heard about is rough sleeping. Uh, a lot of media coverage about that. So basically, if you sleep on the streets as a migrant, you can be kicked out of the UK just for that. Is that the size of it? So, yes, uh, yes. So there are two new grounds that cover rough sleeping. So one allows for an application to be refused uh, on that basis and one that allows the Home Office to curtail or or cancel the leave of someone found uh, rough sleeping. So uh, a a note about that wording. So the old rules used to talk about curtailment, which is when leave would be cut short, and the new rules talk about cancellation. So this is part of the Home Office's uh, simplification project, so they presumably thought curtailment was too archaic. Um, But much like the change from leave to remain to permission to stay, they've changed only some of the rules. So you will encounter both curtailment and cancellation in the rules, but they are interchangeable. Um, But yes, so about rough sleeping, it's it's a controversial provision. Um, It's not clear at this stage how, how it will be applied or how widely. We already had provisions for curtailing leave where someone no longer met the requirements of the route in which they were granted leave. So presumably someone granted leave in a route with a maintenance or an accommodation requirement could already have had their leave curtailed uh, if they were found rough sleeping. And if they made an application for leave in this route, they could already have been refused for not meeting those requirements. Uh, So an element of this feels more like a publicity stunt than any kind of substantive uh, addition to the grounds. Uh, Worth pointing out, it doesn't apply to Appendix FM applications, it doesn't apply to Part 7 private life applications, uh, and a number of other ones. It's discretionary as well. It's interesting what you say about this power potentially being sort of in existence before, and it's discretionary, and there was so much fuss about this uh, rough sleeping provision when it was brought in, but actually... I suppose maybe it's not as radical, perhaps, as as it was suggested. Yeah, I'm not sure uh, how radical that actually is. I think um, most of what uh, the Home Office can do with this, they could have already done um, in a different way before. Well, let's move on then. There's another new ground, which is sham marriages. Uh, and that one, I my instinct when I saw that was... You know, surely sham marriages were a problem for people anyway. The Home Office has always had a 
being at Spawned about people supposedly getting married for visa reasons. So again, is that an entirely new uh, thing? So, well, sham marriages do happen, um, but there really isn't much evidence to show that it's a particularly widespread problem. But in any case, we already had provisions for dealing with sham marriages. So that includes the procedure for the registrar to notify the Home Office if a couple gives notice to marry and one of them is not British or settled. And the Home Office can then investigate whether the marriage is genuine. Uh, if not, they can refuse the application uh, for leave on the basis that the relationship is not genuine or on one of the existing suitability grounds. Um, they can also be prosecuted under the 1971 Act. So it's difficult to understand the rationale for introducing this new ground for refusal, except as with the rough sleeping provision, maybe as a bit of a publicity stunt. Uh, it is a discretionary ground. The guidance does say that the decision maker should consider all relevant circumstances um, when considering refusing on this basis. So that includes things like length of residence in the UK. Um, so even if they believe that it's more likely than not that someone was involved in a sham marriage, it will not necessarily lead to a refusal, uh, though I would think they would take a lot to outweigh that finding. Yeah, fair enough, but not necessarily uh, the end of the road, even if there is a sham marriage. That's no. good to know. And then the final uh, entirely new ground, or explicitly new ground for refusal, I suppose, is uh, customs breaches. So uh, what's this? Like, if you've been caught at the airport smuggling cigarettes, you can be you can be kicked out? So potentially, yes. Um, this applies at the point when uh, someone is entering the UK, and it allows the uh, immigration officer to deny entry into the UK as well as curtail any leave that they hold. Uh, it's a discretionary ground. The guidance does say that the decision maker must consider proportionality. And it gives the example of someone who has repeatedly bought an alcohol or cigarettes over the duty-free allowance, uh, where a refusal on this ground would be most likely appropriate, as opposed to someone who's doing this for the first time. Um, they will also look at whether there appears to be an intention to bring in more than is permitted, or if it appears to be an oversight uh, as well as whether it, whether it appears that the purpose of the trip was to smuggle, wherever, whatever it was that was smuggled, or whether the smuggling is incidental to the trip. And they will also take into account uh, whether someone is a visitor or a resident in the UK. So it's more likely to be disproportionate to refuse on this basis um, if the person lives here on a long-term basis. Great. So smuggle away if you're an ex existing resident. That's uh, what, I'm, what I'm taking from your summary. Um, so those are the new things. We also have the criminality stuff you mentioned, uh, the tightening up on that. So let's look at a few different types of offending. So, so first of all, we've got what we might call petty criminality. So someone has been convicted of something, but they've received no jail time at all or a short sentence of up to a year. So this kind of uh, petty criminality was previously a ground for refusal before, but now it's sort of even more so. Is that correct? Yes. So uh, previously, if someone received a sentence of up to a year and applied to enter the UK as, uh, I don't know, let's say a student, they would be refused unless five years had passed since the end of the sentence, um, after which point it no longer applied. Um, but there was also a discretionary ground to refuse if that person received a non-custodial sentence in the last 12 months. Uh, now, the Home Office can refuse if someone has been convicted of an offence anywhere, uh, wh whether it's a custodial sentence of less than 12 months or a non-custodial sentence or even an out-of-court disposal, uh, regardless of how much time has passed since the conviction. 
it's a discretionary ground, but it could potentially apply to something as minor as a caution given a decade ago. Um, it's worth mentioning that this doesn't apply to Appendix FM or Part 7 private life uh, applications as well as others, and the Home Office will consider the severity of the offence uh, when considering whether to refuse on this basis, but this still leaves the Home Office with a lot of discretion. Um, so this could potentially lead to a lot more refusals. So moving then to a sort of different category of criminality, people who haven't necessarily been given a long sentence, but they are considered to have caused serious harm by their criminal offending or to be a persistent offender. So for those people, what's changed in the grounds? So these provisions are not new. Uh, they existed before the change to the rules, but they were previously discretionary grounds. Uh, under the new rules, there are now mandatory grounds for refusal. So if the Home Office believes that you have caused serious harm or you're a persistent offender, they uh, have no choice but to to refuse. Of course, that finding itself is quite subjective, but this is nevertheless a tightening of the existing rules. I suppose we should pause to clarify just in case uh, a discretionary ground of refusal means that the Home Office official can sort of make a call on whether to turn the person down or not a mandatory ground it's automatic if you are a persistent offender no go that's right yes so uh the discretionary ground grounds used to be that um that you would normally be refused if that finding was made uh now it's you may be refused so it's much more up to the discretion of the um home office decision maker Okay, so yeah, you did mention that at the outset, and that's interesting. So any of the discretionary grounds are, will now be worded in this way and potentially means it's more, there would be more leniency shown, potentially, just the way the wording is. is. So yes, um, previously there was a presumption uh, in favour of refusal. It was worded as um, normally be refused, whereas now it's maybe, so it's more of a kind of 50-50 uh, so potentially this could lead to fewer refusals uh, on grounds that were previously um, that were previously discretionary are now discretionary, but now use the the updated language. But um, we don't know until we've seen it in action. Yeah, it'll take time for it to work through in practice. Um, resuming our discussion of uh, criminality, then what about the more serious criminal offending? So someone's been jailed for a year or more. Again, that was addressed in the old Part 9, but now that's taken more seriously. Right. So previously, uh, someone who was jailed for over a year, but less than four years, that uh, they would be refused unless 10 years passed since the end of the sentence. Uh, under the new rules, it doesn't matter how much time passes since the end of the sentence. So any conviction where someone's given a sentence of over a year now attracts a mandatory refusal. Uh, so again, this doesn't apply to Appendix FM or private life applications, but it still applies to a lot of different applications. Um, it also raises the question, what happens to someone who received a prison sentence of, say, two years, 20 years ago, who moved to the UK to study or work last year? So they were granted entry clearance under the previous rules because none of the grounds for refusal applied. Uh, but what happens when this person comes to extend their leave? So presumably they would now be caught out by the new provisions and they would be refused further leave. There is also a provision for leave to be curtailed or cancelled where someone has been convicted of an offence of over 12 months. Um, we don't know whether that applies to just new offences. It, it doesn't. It's not worded in terms of new offences, so it could, could potentially 
lead to someone who came in as a as a hypothetical student or worker came in last year, they could have the leave curtailed under this provision, not just refuse the next extension. Um, so it is potentially going to cause a lot of problems for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. And before we move on, I think previously the rules on serious criminality drew a distinction between people who had received a sentence of over four years versus people whose sentence was between one and four years. There was different treatment there. I think what you're saying is now anything above one year is all treated the same. You just can't come into the UK. And if you did come into the UK under the old rules, you might be refused uh, your extension. Yes. Yeah. So previously, um, it would only be a conviction of over four years that would attract a permanent ban. Uh, that's been lowered to 12 months. So 12 months is now the kind of the red line cutoff. Which, uh, as you say, will cause people problems. But I suppose if we're looking for silver linings, it's easier for people to remember as, as a lawyer. It's just 12 <laughs> months is kind of your, your real red flag. Yeah, so um, we do have to look for silver linings where we can find them. Um, I'm, I'm sure it won't feel like a silver lining to the people affected, but um, it, it does make it simpler to remember. Another silver lining uh, is that the guidance, as before, does say that an applicant shouldn't be refused if the offence in question is not an offence that's recognised in the UK. So uh, a conviction for homosexuality, for instance, or membership of a trade union will not necessarily um, trigger a refusal. And it used to be that when it came to visitors, visit visas had their own separate rules on refusals for, for criminality, separate from Part 9. But now I think Part 9 applies to visitors as well, which again is, I guess, a bit of a simplification. Right. So, yes, so they are a bit simpler in some ways, but they're also more stringent. So as well as all the grounds we've already mentioned, there are also grounds in Part 9 that apply specifically to visit visa applications, including a mandatory grant for refusal where someone has received a custodial sentence of less than 12 months or an out-of-court disposal like abortion unless 12 months have passed since the end of the sentence. Um, so simpler to follow, but to a less favourable conclusion. Um, it can also be a bit tricky to follow which grounds in Part 9 apply to Appendix FM, so I'm not sure how well they've succeeded in simplifying all of this. And finally, we didn't mention this at the outset, but I think the rules on deception have also changed. Um, people will probably need to read the relevant provisions to kind of get the detail because there's a lot of textual tweaks. But just in summary, what's gone on with the rules on uh, deception? So the provisions for refusing on the basis of uh, deception have been consolidated. So there is now a single ground that covers false representations, false documents and so on, which is paragraph 9.7. Uh, it's now a discretionary ground rather than mandatory, unless the decision maker can prove that it is more likely than not that deception was used, in which case it becomes mandatory. Uh, which is a huge difference from the previous version of the ground, uh, which mandated that any application where false representations were made or false documents are used must be refused. Um, I also find it interesting that the only mandatory deception ground, uh, where an application must be refused if the decision maker can prove that the applicant used deception, is worded in terms of proof. Um, I'm not sure I can think of any other provision rules that uses that wording. It's more common to see uh, where the decision maker is satisfied or something along those lines. Um, so it seems to be geared towards litigation, uh, where the burden of proving deception to the civil standard is on the Home Office, at least initially. 
But it would still be uh, prove on the balance of probabilities rather than the criminal standard. The Home Office has to be sure. Yes, so it's still to the same standard. Um, it's just I, I don't I don't know what the um, material difference is between prove um, to the balance to the civil standard um, as compared to uh, must be satisfied to the civil standard. It just seems like slightly different wording. Um, for the same thing, but it, it's interesting that they changed this one to prove rather than uh, satisfied that. So just stepping back and thinking about everything we've talked about, all these changes to part nine in the round, we've talked about there's been some tightening, but also actually potentially some more leniency being introduced. So overall, what do you reckon? Are we going to get more people uh, refused on the basis of these rules? Fewer people? Will it just come out about the same? Um, I think more people, I think uh, that's inevitable. I think even when you consider the positive changes, uh, the changes in the wording in the discretionary grounds from should normally be refused to may be refused, the changes from um, being a mandatory ground for refusal to discretionary, it's not clear whether this will actually lead to a tangible difference in decision making. Um, Just because a ground is now discretionary rather than mandatory, it doesn't mean that the Home Office won't still refuse under that basis. And it's always difficult to challenge a decision on the basis that the Home Office should have exercised their discretion differently. Um, so I'm not sure whether these positive changes outweigh the negative ones, especially the new criminality grounds. Um, and it, in general, it seems that the new grounds give the Home Office even more discretion when considering whether to refuse an application, uh, which always makes me nervous. But I suppose um, we'll have to wait to see how that discretion is exercised. That we will. Thanks, Alex. That was great. We'll leave it there. Uh, Alex Pletka from Turbin Miller Solicitors. And just a few housekeeping notes before the podcast ends. First of all, if you are a free movement member and you're looking for our most up-to-date written material on this subject, you want to look at Module 7 of our OISC Level 1 course, which is what Alex has been updating very recently. We do also have a standalone training course on the general grounds for refusal, but that's not yet up to date with these changes, although we are working on it. Secondly, if you're not a Free Movement member, but you'd like to be, head on over to www.freemovement.org.uk forward slash join. And thirdly, this uh, podcast continues to be free of charge and uh, following listener feedback Hopefully, if you're a regular listener, you'll have noticed that's become more regular since uh, the start of last year. We now have two episodes every month. They come out on Fridays, pretty much every two weeks. We did miss Christmas Day, but apart from that, we've been uh, regular as per your request. So the next episode will be our monthly roundup on the 12th of March. So until then, goodbye and thanks for listening.